Ten minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro, and uh, we uh, take a look at uh, the biggest stories in the world of business. And uh, joining me to take a look at some of these is uh, independent market commentator, analyst, and CA Snesipo Maninjwa. Snesipo, good evening to you and welcome. Hello, Aya. How are you? Hey, How are you? I'm good, good. It's budget week. It's budget. Of course, of course. What are your big expectations uh, from the budget? Uh, and maybe that's a good place to start. Uh, you think Danelle uh, and maybe the land bank is going to get some money? Hey, but when they are getting money, they've committed. Um, land bank has to get money because they defaulted on bondholders. And if the yeah, default holds, it triggers the default. Remember, land bank triggers cross default. You know what I mean? So that mm. one is a given. And we know the farmers need assistance, so that's not even that one is very good debate. The now is one. And then, do we need arms? Do we need the guns? I don't believe in guns in that. But the thing with the now is actually bad management and years of corruption. So if you actually look at, um, it sounds evil, but as long as the U.S. is still fighting any war, uh, the now should be profitable. Should be mm. profitable, but it's again bad management. Um, Corruption and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We also been thinking by the yeah, by the when I feel it ten billion as a SAA. That's one. That's actually what I'm curious about. Yeah, they've yeah. committed. They've committed, but it's a Puma IP because that's a really article um on Daily Maverick regarding the fact that um education is on the chopping block. And I was like, hey guys, hey guys, going back. Because like I, I promise you, and I get very mad when people talk about the public sector wage bill. Because I, I keep asking the simple question: Is do you know who's public sector? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. everyone who wants the public sector wage bill to decrease is um, has their services outsourced to the private sector, so they don't understand when you say collectively what needs to be done on mm-hmm. private sector wage bill. The fact that the government has to import doctors in queue from Cuba at how multiples of the cost of having homegrown doctors is because we don't have all certain doctors posts and specifically in Popol, Eastern Cape and a good seven out of I think the nine provinces have been frozen because of all these cuts, again budget cuts. So you end up having to import where you have vacancies but people can't be employed. We all know there's a teaching crisis. We all know that there's not a policeman. People are crying that the NPA won't um, prosecute sign up. They need to pay people. They don't have the stock in house. <laughs> like I think Abanda, yeah, it's literally one of the things, one of the my bare frustrations. Mm. Of people but here's, the, here's they, the other dimensions, Nisipa. I'm quite interested in just on that story. I mean, now, now that you've picked up the public sector wage bill story, is that there's a slight complication. I mean, so if you think about it, uh, this is in relation to that last year of the multi-year agreement. So these guys come together and for every three years, you know, they sign a deal about what wages are going to look like. Now, it's setting the government and the public sector unions for a public collision on this issue because, you know, I, I don't foresee any of these public sector unions, you know, giving an inch on the score. But then the other complication is that when the negotiations might have to happen with the GEPF around ESCOM, uh, I guess, yeah, this is something that might come front of center for many of uh, those workers whose capital is, is locked up in uh, in that particular space. Well, so, what's so your view I, of that um, and maybe the negotiations around that? So again, the negotiations for me, the public sector wage bill, 
for me is that it's the increase that they want. But for me, you need to, I think one thing this crisis has um, exposed is that our public service is under capacity, is under resourced. I think the word is under resourced. So now discussions with GEPF and ESCOM. The thing is that if you look at the duties of a trustee, um, specifically from a pension fund, the duties of a trustee, unfortunately, this is where the government gets it wrong, and maybe some politicians also get it wrong, is that trustees have a due, um, due care to make investments that are return up, that will return profit. Now, the question is, is ESCOM a good investment when it is periodically non-performing, um, high debt on the book, high debt book balance? Uh, unless, they, they, for me, ESCOM from a pension fund perspective, is a very risky asset to invest in. And furthermore, if you just, so just from an interest perspective, the PIC, which manages the GDPS money, already is the largest holder locally of ESCOM bonds. So it's not like they don't invest. But the truth be told is that to take, you're asking them to go above and beyond. The bonds are debt instruments that um, you're that yield a specific return. Because ESCOM's junk rate, they actually get a very, very nice yield picked up. So from a return perspective, they do very, very well. That's why the bonds keep getting traded. Now, the question then becomes is that you're asking, the reason that GEPFPS you can do is write off. But you can't ask them to write off the quantum of debt because it would not, again, from the trustee's perspective, it not would be within the, the, the duty, skill, duty of care. So for me, there's just no discussion on ESCOM unless ESCOM starts performing mm. as a functional investment grade asset. There should yeah. be no discussion. There should be no discussion. This is for me, ESCOM's problems are a combination of lack of government um, in, um, intervention as well as just corruption and you heard the fact that the guys are like, there's 5,800 ESCOM employees uh, for lifestyle audit that being investigated. It's just for me, the corruption is just so, and for me, for pensioners specifically, and I say this because my mom's a teacher, so I'm part of GEPF. So I say that it's just for me such a risky asset for them to um, consider um, an investment in because the principles of what you did qualify as an investment grade asset are just not present. Let's, let, let's carry on just on that score of ESCOM. I mean, um, a big story being uh, sort of uh, bandied about over the last day or so is that, um, you know, ESCOM is certainly a, um, a contender for some of the uh, sort of universe of capital uh, in the green bonds and in the green funding space um, in order, I guess, to underwrite uh, this energy transition and uh, certainly not South Africa not being unique in undertaking this kind of transition and uh, uh, looking for the capital markets to uh, underwrite some of that. What do you make? I mean, you certainly made the case of ESCOM from a pension fund perspective, probably not being, uh, you know, the kind of investment you want to allocate some capital to. But uh, if you are one of these green financiers, uh, would they be somebody that you would lend money to? But then again, how? So remember, ESCOM is barely coping with their interest payments now and their debt commitments now. Why? Sometimes I think, sometimes when people say these things, they say, how will the funding work? You currently have ESCOM as the single biggest polluter next to Cecil in the country. They have asked for waivers on uh, uh, 
degreening. I, I, I don't know. I've lost my English. But how will the capital flow? Like, I just, are they going to take on more debt? Because for me, they are a debt capacity. We need to be bringing the debt mm. down, not trying to entertain yeah, but if it's a bond, if it's a bond, you're taking on no, more no, debt. No, it's a bond. No, it's a thing specific. Mm. But I know it's a bond. All of them, there. remember, the ESCOM debt is a combination of uh, bonds and various multi, uh, various instruments, but they fundamentally all debt. So that's where we get the $450 billion from. You're asking them to take on more debt. In what regard? Hey, guys, they don't have debt capacity. I, I, for me, all of this talk is just talk, and it's sort of a distraction, and it's probably some investment banker who wants to tr- structure a deal. ESCOM is at debt capacity. We cannot entertain any single thought of bringing our more debt to the balance sheet of ESCOM. The debt needs to come down. I think... We're, and that, that debt position, because if we pile on more debt, even if it's at favorable terms, from a pure capital quantum perspective, it's so high that any more debt and they're not, in a, it's not, I, 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 I don't get why people want to. So for me, it's just probably some investment banker who wants to structure a deal and sound clever because you know they make money on those things. But... Mm. Fundamentally, the top there, yeah. no, no, no. Fundamentally, let's do. Let, uh, let us do. I always like to take things back to first principles, which is let us look at the balance sheet and the income statement. The income state, the balance sheet cannot support the amount of debt on the books of ESCOM. Majority for every rand ESCOM makes, a significant portion goes to debt repayments, and that number has keep on growing. Without Without an increase, and they've said this, and this is also, it plays into, do you want the increase in your electricity tariffs? They were not allowed the electricity tariffs um, increase by NERSA, so they can't able to charge significantly more revenue. So, I, I, for me, where, you can't say let's entertain green funding without dealing with the problem at hand. I think that's the problem with us as Africans. We don't know how to... We, we always want to be fancy. Let's go for green. I'm like, no. Deal with the debt problem at hand. Split ESCOM, which is the correct move, into the three different business units at hand. Then look at, because the only asset um, division that would need to look at green funding is generation. Hmm. Because they, that is where... Yeah. But again, when we have talks about, we move away from first principles, which is deal with the problem at hand. The thing is that ESCOM has raised, and it has been allowed to raise by Treasury, capital capital calls after capital calls, again, and these and they, they're not in a position with those services. You'll end up being in a position one day, like SAA, where, and that is just how it is. That is first principle. Yeah, Stacey, let, let's shift away from, from ESCOM. I certainly share that sentiment that, uh, you know, if there were any potential takers in the new unbundled ESCOM uh, that uh, ought to be on the receiving end of any green finance, it probably is going to be where the climate risks are largely more pronounced, and that's in the generation business. But uh, uh, let's take a look at the Steinoff issue. It seems Techie Town here has uh, hit a wall once again. They, they've lost in the Supreme Court of Appeal in uh, their attempt to place restraint of trade arrangements on uh, Steinhoff and uh, maybe just before we, we get into what happened in the SCA, give us some of the background here. Yeah, 
So a couple of years ago, before everything went bust, um, Petco actually, let me just be very angry, Petco, you have to quit to the bought um, a controlling share in Techie Down. Now, this was settled by two tranches, and there was a cash settlement, and then there was a settlement by shares in both Steinhoff and Petco. This was just before um, Petco, which was known as Steinhoff Africa, uh, was listed. Now, then, you know, you had the share collapse. So those shares, which were worth at some point, I will say, were worth $3.2 billion, are now worth nine, minus 90% of that, 99% of that, if you look at the latest share price of Steinhoff. And what ended up happening was the guys, of course, were like, oh, you guys, you screwed us over, you sold us, I built this business my whole life. Then they went to court. They've lost court because fundamentally, I think one of the things that they forget is that this, at the time, it was a fair transaction, and they were given market value at the time. Just be, and you, one of the, the one of the, sh- the sad parts about equity shareholders is that you're not um, you're not protected against market losses. So you're taking you, you take the upside and you well as well take the downside. The Steinhardt slash Petco has since offered a settlement of 116 million rand, which was offered a couple months ago, around circa July, um, August. Actually, it was in July. Sorry for that. Of uh, 116 million rand. Uh, one of the founders of Ticket Down was like, dude, you paid the CEO this in the past three years. This is nothing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know how Afrikaans people go. He had a whole statement about it. But fundamentally, um, I don't see them winning this because you can't say that you had to give me this value. You had the options when you were negotiating how you want to structure the transaction. Do you want it? And you took the risk of taking the share option as opposed to taking cash. And that's just what it is. Subsequent to that, because they had a big falling out, the guys have started to look for their own uh, offering new um, new format, same format of the store of Dickie Town. But I don't know what they call that. I think it's Techie Style or something like that. You know, they check the same name. And yeah, I think it's Mr. Techie. Yeah, Mr. Techie. Yeah, or something Mr. Techie. Like something that. around there. Something around there. The details are not important. Um, so there's also restraint of trade in that. In that they fundamentally want to uh, stop, uh, sign up, uh, start, uh, uh, sign up, uh, slash people from trading Techie Town brand. They basically mm. want the stores closed down. They're like. Uh, they like we hate you stuff like that. We know rich people. Hmm. Rich people. What are the chances though? I mean, this is at the SCA now. What are the chances for you know Mostert and the Van Hastien here as, as the founders of uh, a Techie Town to to get anything? I mean, or anything near what it is they're looking for, which is just over, I think, uh, a 1.5 billion rand or something, and they're being offered uh, something in the region of 120 million. Oh God, ah, they have zero chance. They have zero, zero, zero chance because it was a, it was a literally a buy and sell agreement. I, I, I fundamentally, I'm not even a lawyer, and I can say they have zero chance because fundamentally, you you negotiate the terms of a buy and sell agreement. The thing is that when you when you take the shares, you take the thing is that when you take shares uh, in exchange for value, you take the upside as well as the downside. If the sign of share price has where it is and multiplied by two times, the guys would have been sitting with six billion rand. So they must, uh, uh, it's not my, their fault, our fault. 
that they negotiated badly. And that's the thing. Sometimes a lot of, a lot about what deal making comes for you to get the value you want is a lot about negotiating in the best possible light. Take cash now. Yes, take cash now. But if you take shares, you take the risk of both the upside. Because if they were getting the upside of six, ten billion rand, I will I, I told you at the point of just before the collapse, their transaction was worth three point two billion of value. Now, if the Steinhoff share price had doubled, that was in 2017, they'd be sitting with 6 billion rand. Do you think they'd be suing anybody? They no. would not be here in court. They would not be so here. They, so, so why am so I... It sounds a lot like a gamble. I mean, it sounds a lot like a gamble when, when you put it in those terms. Yeah, so I actually don't believe... Since I'm also risk-adverse, I'm an accountant, so now I'm risk-adverse. I'm like, cash now, today. I don't really? even want... I don't even want... I, 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 uh, cash today, I... Talking about cash today and before I want us to talk about the Clover story, which we're going to be picking up also just after 10 past, uh, let's take a look at Samsung. It seems the dynasty is unraveling here. Uh, the, uh, one of the signs of the dynasty uh, under a lot of pressure in the courts uh, in South Korea around uh, you know, a fraud, corruption and uh, you know, cooking of the book story. And uh, then his father passes on, uh, a gentleman who's been in uh, I guess in a lot of obs- relative obscurity, if I can say this, since he got a heart attack in 2014. We know now that he's passed on, Lee Kun Hee. And uh, yeah, fueling some hope that there's going to be restructuring and maybe a payday uh, for some of those uh, within the Samsung dynasty. Um, yeah, it's actually quite unfortunate, the whole Samsung thing. Death of Lee Kun Hee. Um, yeah, but remember the son is in, the one in jail the one in jail and the other. Um, yeah, I think dynasties fall, rise and fall all the time. And I think it's one of those big situations uh, where I think it's time that they look at selling. And yeah, they founded a great company and they did an amazing job. But I think it's time they exit because you, fundamentally one of the issues that they have, one of the problems when you're rich, you've got certain wealth taxes. So the inheritance tax is part of the reason mm. why they might have to sell. You know, you also, the fact that the son also has a trial situation. Yeah, but yeah. I wish our people, hey guys, people, accountability. This guy's a whole billionaire and he's in jail. I think Lessons, we can get that. Lessons. Lessons for Lessons. us here in South Africa. They're South Stop Korea. I mean, think about it, right? These guys have intentionally created the system of large you know, corporate entities that effectively had this incestuous relationship with the state. And as that all now unravels, uh, it seems like, uh, you know, the law enforcement is coming after some of these big companies, even the ones like Samsung in South Korea. So listen, but before I let you go, I know we've got a quick spot break nearing on us. Just your quick sense on the Clover issue. Ah, new ownership. New ownership. That's all I'm going to say. You know, I'm not mm, exactly. Milko, Remember, huh? I'm not huh? Central <laughs> bottling company. Huh? Israeli. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm not sure that took over. And unfortunately, unfortunately, um, Clover has, for me, doesn't have a leg to stand on simply because they are an essential service. And exactly. people were stockpiling. People were stockpiling. Thank God I don't buy their products because, you know, I'm lactose. I'm lactose. So yeah, I'm lactose yeah. intolerant. So I'm, I'm, I'm up there with them. I'm not yeah, there with them. We're going to have to leave it there. We're going to have to leave it there because uh, we, we have a spot break nearing on us. But uh, we'll certainly continue with that story with Clover. Thank you very much for your time.
pleasure. That there, awesome. That there was Nesipo Manenjwa, uh, independent market analyst and commentator, speaking to us this evening. And uh, yeah, in the next few minutes or so, we'll find out why you shouldn't be buying Clover products. Stay tuned.